Brock. This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. How about rebranding a shark? Shark attacks. They're called in Australia now negative encounters. Because Jaws doesn't really want to eat you. He's just saying... Hello. Officials down under want to rewrite the language used around a shark enjoying a human sandwich. And it should no longer be a shark attack. No, it should be an interaction or just a negative encounter. The existence of a negative encounter with a shark implies that there can be a positive encounter. Maybe that's just when the shark snaps your toe off instead of your leg. You see, it's all about the language. As so often is the case about so many things now. To change the perception of those huge killing machines that dive and glide and hide under the waves, territory that most definitely is not natural human terrain. You can't see him. The beast that views you only as a meal, but he can see you. Yum, yum. I doubt that there's ever been a veggie great white shout, a shark, not in the hundreds of millions of years they've been swimming the ocean, sniffing blood, writes one. Sharks don't have hands, so if they want to explore something, they mouth it. And a professor at Macquarie University was very concerned about this. He doesn't want you to feel negatively about sharks. So he says, very rarely are humans consumed by sharks. I guess the shark is just saying hello. Good day, mate. Oops, that was your leg. Sorry for the amputation. The point? Words matter. Words do matter. And we are playing games with words like never before. Playing games with words like never before ever before. Is this leading us into the great delusion the Apostle Paul talked about in Thessalonians? You know, the great delusion. He talked about it in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 11. For this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. What was the cause? Because they loved not the truth and took pleasure in unrighteousness. They loved not the truth, but took pleasure in unrighteousness. And in order to take pleasure in unrighteous, you have to make it look more righteous. And in order to change the truth into something else that you want to believe, you have to use different words. You change the language. To make you feel better, to remove any sense of guilt, or any sense of responsibility, or any sense that perhaps what you might be engaging in is unrighteous. (coughs) Has the great delusion come upon us? That's the question here on Viewpoint today, and we want to talk about 
how it has come upon us, how it is coming upon us, and how it is reaching its apex in coming upon us. Psychology and secularism and New Age thought, by the way, as well as today's majority of mainline Protestant churches, are convinced that people are basically good. In fact, the recent proposals to reduce police forces and intervention with psychologists and social workers is kind of a natural progression, isn't it, of all people who, well, they're just basically good. There's just a few bad eggs out there. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible clearly and emphatically states the opposite. The Old Testament prophet Jeremiah clearly wrote, you can find it in Jeremiah 17, 9, he said, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. The heart of humankind is desperately wicked. It's deceitful. Desperately wicked who can know it. Who can know it? Well, God can know it, and we can know it as well. We can have some insight into knowing it, and that's why, if we don't, we have been deluded. That's the nature of the great delusion. The great delusion that is coming upon the earth and is rapidly coming upon the earth, in fact, is here now and just will intensify in the few years to come, is related to our language. Our language is related to our thoughts. And so Jesus said, as a man, he said, it's not what that goes into a man that defiles the man, but it's that which comes out of his mouth. For out of the heart, out of the mouth, excuse me, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So when we change language to make something that is evil sound good or sound less offensive, we actually are participating in encouraging delusion. And in many respects, you could actually say that in America for the past 50 years, we've been complicit in that. If you have picked up using the word gay instead of the actual words like sodomy and homosexuality, you're complicit. Whether you realize it or not, you are. And that's why here on this program, unless I'm reading something to you, I don't use the word gay. Have you noticed that? Because that's a delusive word. It's a euphemism that's designed to make that which is otherwise unpleasant, unrighteous, yes, even wicked, to sound pretty acceptable. It's just gay. That was the first word. That was the first one to really take the heat in our deception into, our devolution into delusion here in America and around the world. Using the word gay. The word gay didn't mean sodomy, didn't mean homosexuality, didn't mean lesbianism. It meant happiness, being blithe, joyful, happy. Is it any wonder that those who wanted to change the language and make 
the practice of sodomy that God calls an abomination sound good and acceptable and reasonable to promote to the general society would use the word gay? No. That's par for the course. And when they got by with that, well, the rest was a piece of cake. We use all kinds of euphemisms now. You can call it a euphemism. It's actually a delusion, a deception using language. And so we want to talk about that in greater detail here on Viewpoint today. Did you know that in 1642 there was an interesting law passed? It was called the Old Deluder Satan Act in Massachusetts. It was the first public education act in America. Why? To keep the American people and their young from being deceived and deluded. We'll be back. Stay tuned. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. So I welcome you back to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chris Meyer. We concluded the first segment by referring to the Old Deluder Satan Act, 1642, in Massachusetts. The purpose of the act was to make sure that America's children in colonial America would be educated so that they would not be deceived and deluded. They knew that the ultimate delusion would come from the enemy of our souls, Satan himself, the deceiver. And so the Puritans crafted the old deluder Satan act. Believe it or not, it was the foundation of American public education. And then education took place primarily in the homes. But all were to be educated. Because if they were not, they would be more easily deceived and deluded. Today, we're using education for the purpose of deceiving and deluding. And that tells us that we are right in the midst of the great delusion that the Apostle Paul warned about in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 11. For this cause God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. Who is they? They are those who become deluded. How do they become deluded? Two things primarily. Number one, they don't really love the truth. Number two, they take pleasure in unrighteousness. In other words, they don't agree with God's viewpoint on life. They don't agree with God's viewpoint on marriage. They don't agree with God's viewpoint on uh, Uh, sexual activities. They don't agree with God's viewpoint concerning uh, whether or not uh, we tell the truth or don't tell the truth. Don't agree with God's viewpoint on anything. Unless we want to. Unless it seems convenient 
unless it seems, well, makes me feel good, then I'm all in. All in with God's viewpoint, but any time he seems to step on my toes, watch out. I'm not in agreement there. And so the old deluder Satan comes in and begins his process of deception and delusion. And we become deluded. Today in the balance of the program, we're going to be taking a look at what this looks like on the ground. You see, there are many who are deluded to believe that nature has confused their biology, that they can change from one gender to another by simply saying so. We use the word identity. We identify as this, that, or the other. So if I say I identify as a cat, then you have to treat me as a cat. If I say I identify as a lion, then you have to identify me, then you have to treat me as a lion. And you dare not say otherwise because then you are dissing my authority as a human being and I have equal viewpoint to yours and your viewpoint is not greater than mine. You see how we reason? So if I say I'm a man and I'm really a woman, I'm deluding myself. And others who are participating in that delusion are also co-conspirators in the delusion and will receive the equal recompense of the reward for the delusion. The Apostle Paul warned about that in Revelation, excuse me, in uh, the book of Romans chapter 1. At the very end of the chapter, when he talks about the effect of the descending effect of unrighteousness and refusing to glorify God as God and our foolish hearts become darkened, and then we begin to treat uh, things that God has ordained as holy, as unholy. We begin to treat the woman as a man and the man as a woman and enter into all kinds of perverse activities and behaviors. Then he goes on to say that the penalty for those sins is not just going to be to those who do them, but to those who approve them in doing them. In other words, those who go along to get along, those who go along and say, well, it's okay, Uh, whatever, whatever you feel like you need to do, that's fine. No, that's not fine. So the libertarian view, go along to get along, which is basically the libertarian political view, is not a biblical view. It may be a popular view so that you don't have to commit on certain of these issues that God has spoken about, but it's definitely not a biblical view. So we want to talk about this this great delusion and get a little bit more poignant, shall we say, get down to brass tacks as to how it comes upon us. And for that, I want to uh, direct your attention to one of the worst viruses ever to come upon the earth. Now, in making that statement, uh, you might say, well, that's just, uh, you're kind of overstating things there. How about the bubonic plague? How about uh, uh, some of these other terrifying viruses and so on? Yes, they have been terrifying. But the one we're talking about today has even more terrifying consequences. So I call it a killer virus. 
It's a fatal virus. And it's been sweeping our country and the world for a whole generation now. More than that, two generations. It's insidiously creeping in through our mail. It infects us with our knowledge as we read our newspapers and thumb through our magazines, watch our televisions, sit in our theaters. Our minds become ulcerated as we speak to one another, and our hearts are sometimes seared and cauterized, even as we sit in our churches. So who's susceptible? Who is susceptible to this killer virus? Well, it's not partial to race, creed, or geographical region. The minds of the educated often appear even more susceptible. But no heart is immune from its damage. It's very contagious. And every Christian is put on notice of the extreme danger of this virus. It can be fatal. It advances in stages, but is fatal. Fortunately, though, the prognosis for recovery is good if treated early. However, Care has to be taken to identify carriers of the virus to avoid contamination. It may be necessary in some instances to quarantine the carriers or at least take great caution in protecting your family from exposure and to decontaminate promptly. And there's only one known cure. It has nothing to do with hydroxychloroquine, has nothing to do with the vaccine, has nothing to do with ivermectin, The cure can prevent infection by the virus if taken regularly in sufficient dosage. But there's a special warning issued to parents and teachers and pastors and youth leaders and political leaders, any other persons who are in a position to expose others, if you should become infected. The potential damage to others is multiplied greatly. Due to the seriousness of this virus, any persons in the above categories who have knowingly become infected, and continue to expose others will be subjected to social consequences now and eternally accountable later. Would you like to know what it is? This virus is known most commonly as political correctness, a moral and spiritual disorder that infects the heart and mind, impairing and eventually neutralizing our ability to discern truth and its systemic Whether you realize it or not, you are swimming in this virus. Truth and virtue were once part and parcel of what it meant to be an American. Among the most popular lyrics of the battle hymn of the Republic, remember, his truth is marching on. Yet these days, to be more accurate, we'd have to word his truth is marching on by. In other words, bye-bye. And as we watch it pass, the battle for some sense of moral rightness and biblically anchored direction becomes ever more intense. And this battle is becoming especially acute for professing followers of Christ. Now, it's affecting the whole world, but especially followers of Christ, because we are the ones who are supposed to be bearing witness to the truth. 
Now, how far off are we? Well, about 10 years ago, the Barden, uh, the Barna Research Group came out with a report that among professing Christian young people, less than 20% of them believed that Jesus Christ was the only way, the only truth, and the only life. Why did that? Why was that the case? That 80% of professing Christian young people did not believe the most essential and foundational truth of the gospel and therefore are not really saved? Can't be. Because they bought the lie. They bought the lie. They're deluded. Deceived. Seduced. And their eternal destiny is well at risk. If we don't recognize that, friends, we have no idea how desperate the situation really is. If you think the bigger problem is illegal immigration, by the way, many euphemisms and delusive uh, terms have been applied to that. First, we called them illegal aliens, and then they were illegal uh, illegals, and then uh, all kinds of euphemisms have been used to make it sound nice and sweet instead of law-breaking. You've watched the trajectory. And as bad as that is, what we're talking about here is far, far worse by, well, inestimable difference. The problem is there's intentionalized confusion. The concept of political correctness has become so common that it's even taken on its own acronym, PC. You see, PC used to mean uh, personal computer. Remember that? But this replaced personal computer. And it took over its own designation, PC. So one stands to be thoroughly confused. If you should use the initials PC, having just learned from previous years that PC meant personal computer. But unfortunately... That's what political correctness is all about. Confusion. It's all about confusion. A functional definition of the term might be speech that conforms to my perception of what is most generally acceptable among the most vocal people in politics, religion, business, society, and elsewhere, so as to most likely avoid being made to feel I am not part of the mainstream. Remember when we were teenagers? Our parents called it peer pressure, didn't they? We used to cringe when it became obvious a man waited to see which way the wind was blowing before he spoke his mind. We thought such behavior was spineless. An obvious signal that he lacked moral fortitude. Today, it's become a cultural mandate for the entire democratic West. It is a dangerous, dangerous virus and we're going to talk more about that after the upcoming break but i want to make sure you get a copy of my book seduction of the saints how to stay pure in a world of deception how to stay pure in a world of deception this book some have said was the most important book they had ever read other than the bible why 
because it made the teachings of the Scripture so applicable and so real. You could actually get a handle on it and see in real time its implications and applications. You see, the great deluder Satan doesn't want you to do that. He wants you to go along to get along. He wants you to be absorbed into the flow and not realize how you yourself are being caught up in the massive delusion that is leading inexorably to a counterfeit savior, the Antichrist. So, first, get a copy of the book, Seduction of the Saints, How to Stay Pure in a World of Deception. It's an $18 book for years. Yours for $15. It's on our website, saveus.org. That's saveus.org. You can give us a call at 1-800-SAVE-USA, 1-800-SAVE-USA, or write to us at Save America Ministries. Do it today. Don't delay. These things are moving very quickly, friends. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind. Chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage. First off, a fact sheet on the state of the marital union, a fact sheet on the state of ministry, marriage, and morals. SaveUS.org. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What does the Bible really teach about this? Find all of this at SaveUS.org. Also, a letter to pastors, the Hosea Project, SaveUS.org, and many more resources to strengthen your marriage. It's all on Chuck's website, SaveUS.org. Again, you can listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast live and archived. Save America Ministries website at SaveUS.org. Today we're talking about delusion. We're talking about what delusion looks like. You see, the Apostle Paul said that of these times... Uh, God will give people over to a great delusion. He writes about that in 2 Thessalonians. There are two main uh, factors, reasons why God gives people over to this great delusion. Number one, they don't really love the truth. They don't really love truth. Not really. You'll find ways to avoid the truth, to avoid the clear-cutting edges of truth, if they can, to make themselves feel better, or to make others feel better. They want to tell truth, and they don't want to believe truth. Not really, not whole truth. <clears throat> Only the things that they want to believe. That's the itching ear syndrome. The second thing is that because they do not love the truth, they take pleasure in unrighteousness. In other words, they will find ways to justify that which God hates, calls an abomination, does not approve of, is a violation of his word, his will, and his ways, and actually will keep us from being holy. But we would rather be happy than holy, and therein lies the problem. We are easily deceived and easily deluded. So we're talking about this amazing killer virus called political correctness. 
we don't even talk about that too much anymore because it's become so passe. It's become so normative in our culture that we don't even recognize it anymore, hardly for what it really is. But we're going to take a look at it in more specificity right now. The concept of political correctness has become so common that it's, as I said, it's even taken on its own acronym PC. Doesn't stand for personal computer anymore. It stands for political correctness. And it's all about confusion. So, what are the practical, identifiable symptoms of this moral and spiritual virus? We need to identify that. Well, there are two predominant manifestations. The first, as I indicated, is the inability to clearly distinguish truth and right from wrong. And the second would involve unfortunate mutations of what used to be our common language. So language has always evolved somewhat with general usage. We know that. But today, our language is modified with intent. It's not just happening in the normal usage of things. It's actually being created intentionally to lie and to deceive. Now, we already talked about the the first case in point, which is the use of the word gay. For instance, if you were to go back to 1952, Webster's Dictionary, here's what it said about the word gay. It meant excited and full of mirth. In a much smaller edition, dated 1987, 35 years later, a second meaning was added, homosexual. But when was the last time you heard the word gay to describe a happy and mirthful person? Would you even dare to use it? I don't think so. When was the last time you used the word to refer to homosexual behavior? Ah, is it possible then that you have contracted a case of political correctness, the killer virus? Ah, yeah. And is this just a chance bit of linguistic evolution, or is there an agenda at work? The word homosexual has always had negative connotations within American society. Our moral and spiritual roots clearly establish sexual relations between a husband and a wife of the opposite sex as the norm, the moral standard, the biblical standard. Homosexuality, by definition, therefore, was immoral. The very word conveys that sense. And in that case, if that's the case, some would say, well, let's change the word. Let's call it gay, and in so doing, subtly change the public's perception of truth. Now, if you have any doubt that this change in term is a strategic move, well, if it's not, why does the gay movement shun the word homosexual? Why does the gay movement shun the word sodomy, like the plague? The reality is that words count. How much do words count? Well, think about it this way. As Christians, the Bible says that in the beginning was the Word, referring to Jesus, 
And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. When the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, Jesus, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man will come to the Father but by me. So what he was saying was, I am the living word or the living Torah, and you dare not mess with me and what I stand for as the word of God. Words count. Jesus said, every word that men will speak, they will give account thereof on the day of judgment. Why? Because words count. From God's viewpoint, there are no neutral uh, words. Words are an expression of the heart. This is so important for us to grasp and understand. An understanding of this concept would by itself promote such conviction of heart that the Holy Spirit would have something to grip our country with to bring about spiritual revival that has so eluded us. Spiritual revival has eluded us because we have been deluded. Now, we once began uh, to talk about... uh, homosexuality and uh, lesbianism, those kinds of things, as we, we understood what they meant. So the language and the words that we use are critical to both preservation of ex- or extinction, you might say, of moral values in our society. The, more, the mere changing of terms of reference often changes our moral point of reference. It dilutes our strips away the stark truth and muddies the waters of our reason, our perception, and our reality. And nobody can deny the effect in America and the world today. And it didn't occur casually. It's been engineered. Think about it. Those who teach their children that proper sexual relations are between a married man and a married woman are now referred to derogatorily as homophobe and bigot. Those are the common words now, homophobe and bigot. Not righteous and holy, not true and God-fearing, but homophobe and bigot. And since we don't want to be called bigoted, we gradually conform to the incessant voices of the perceived cultural trend, silencing the voice of morality and truth. So society slips another foot down the slope of moral decay and spiritual seduction as Christians adapt and play the game. So let's take another look. How about the word sexual preference? Well, sexual preference is a euphemism for sexual perversion. Sounds somewhat the same. But sexual perversion is obviously negative. Sexual preference? No, it's just a choice. 
How about an alternative lifestyle? That's still homosexuality, isn't it? How about cohabitation? Is that still adultery or fornication? Or just living together? One who terminates a pregnancy has had an abortion. The products of conception are a living human being residing in the womb. Indiscretion is still sin. See the words that we use and choose purposely to hide from the truth. We don't want to agree with God's viewpoint. In the Bible, the American founding fathers found the source of real and dependable truth worthy of serving as the foundation of our country. And they were convinced that if we would continue believing in the Bible as God's word, they would know the truth, and that truth would make us free and keep us free. So why are we doing that? You see, truth is the only cure for political correctness. The only uh, cure. It is more effective than the combination of the vaccine, ivermectin, and hydroxychloroquine to COVID-19. If truth is liberally applied, the future of America and our kids, which our, our kids depend on, then we would see change that we could believe in in our country. Is it possible for us to recover that understanding of truth? It's possible. Is it likely? No. Why is it unlikely? Because we are governed by the flesh. And the flesh reaps corruption. It's a reflection of our hearts. Now, the problem here is not just in the culture as a whole. If it were, then we would be in good shape. But the PC virus is in the church. Where we have political correctness, we have religious correctnesses. And the church itself has succumbed. Have you... We'll be right back. Stay tuned. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. Today on Viewpoint, we're talking about the matter of delusion. What does delusion look like? 
Well, it looks like how we change our language to play games with God's viewpoint. We say regularly here on this program that viewpoint determines destiny, which is true. It's an absolute truth. Viewpoint always determines or sets the trajectory for destiny. Now, you can change your viewpoint, and you may, if you change it timely enough, you may be able to change the trajectory of destiny. But viewpoint always sets the course for destiny in small or great ways. And so does this killer virus known as political correctness. Actually, political correctness is an absolute opposite of what it really means. It's incorrect. It's taking that which is incorrect, unrighteous, and making it seem correct and righteous. That's what political correctness is. Now, if that's what political correctness is, using words to deceive, then religious uh, correctness is the same thing, except it's in the church. So this paralyzing poison of political correctness isn't isolated just in the worldly culture. It's been purposely insinuated into the life of professing Christians worldwide, and it's spread like wildfire. It spread every bit as fast as the COVID-19 virus. And it's still hanging around and growing. And very few are doing anything about it. So, what are we going to do? The invasion of political correctness into the life of professing believers in Christ can be traced to two primary sources. First, the church increasingly wanting to conform to the ways of the world for acceptance. And second, pastors and parachurch leaders desiring to promote secondary agendas for personal and alleged ministry purposes. Those are the two reasons. Now, they connect to the church growth movement back in the early 1970s, which, by the way, is when political correctness began. Then it metastasized into the seeker-sensitive movement. All of these involved the changing of the language and the way we talked about the kingdom of God, about uh, the church, about God himself, about salvation, about sin, All of these things began to change dramatically. Just as the world adopted political correctnesses, the church adopted spiritual correctnesses. Or the the problem is they weren't correct at all. They were just the opposite. They were made to diminish the claims of Christ and the fatherhood of God. So, just as in the broader culture, political correctness in the church has become a major engine of warfare to destroy all opposition in pursuing and enforcing what philosophers and social engineers call the will to power, it not only serves to destroy any common allegiance to truth, but marginalizes any person or group that would dare to disagree. Its purpose is governance and dominion by intimidation or subterfuge. 
the per- the pursuit end, according to this new postmodern mind, always justifies the means, even if it means doing violence to the meaning of words. The whole concept of critical race theory, friends, is a manipulation of words for intimidation, power, and control. Let's take a look at a few of the insidious means of this so-called religious correctness that may help to strip off the seductive covers that camouflage this deception. Religious correctness defiles both our message and our methods. It, it always has employed and justified in the name of accomplishing some spiritual purpose. And that's where the deception is. For instance, grace is no longer God's favor and enabling power to do what we ought, but has been re- redefined in the alleged grace awakening as God's willingness to overlook our sin, justifying or doing what we want. The new grace has actually dissed true grace and has become disgrace. And that has fueled the heresy of antinomianism. What's that? Lawlessness. Lawlessness now abounds with a vengeance in God's own house, just as Christ and his apostles foretold it would. And why have we done this? Well, it appears more loving, more inclusive, and we believe it will help us grow our churches and reach the lost. So now the so-called saints live in sin equal to the lost we purport to reach. But we accomplished an objective, a shortcut to church growth through reinterpretation or redefinition of the word grace. Maybe you never thought of it that way. Jesus said, make disciples, teach them to observe or obey everything I've commanded, but I'll build my church. But we decided to build churches and have failed to teach obedience and lawlessness now prevails, the premier behavioral characteristic of the end times. And guess what? The Antichrist is called the lawless one. So we're actually setting the stage for the lawless one, not in the streets of America, but in the churches of America. Those who succumb to the Antichrist spirit are also lawless, deceived by unrighteousness, having pleasure in unrighteousness. So, consider the spiritual and moral consequences of religious correctnesses in just redefining and reapplying the simple word grace. Here we go. The word obey has become the most hated word in the church, regardless of liberal or evangelical stripe. The very word our Lord and his apostles used to describe God's standard for loving and pleasing him is now despised and denigrated by those who claim to be his followers. Those who attempt to teach or preach obedience to biblical standards or righteousness are intimidated to silence with the allegation, there's no grace in your message. The enabling power in favor of the God who declared, my grace is sufficient for you, my strength is made perfect in your weakness, is no longer deemed adequate to do his will. Instead, the new PC, politically religiously correct grace, approves or winks at our sin rather than strengthening us to overcome the enemy of our souls. 
The spirit of lawlessness has progressively replaced the law of the spirit. The carnal or fleshly mind has replaced Christ-mindedness. Spiritual strength and moral stability have disintegrated. And we now permit, justify, even approve that which God prohibits. So, this is a very serious thing. Sodomy was outlawed in America nationwide until the baby boomer generation when the secular sexual revolution in the 1960s married the church's God is love movement in the 1970s. That produced a bastard daughter who exchanged the faith once delivered to the saints for feelings, redefining grace to obey Christ as liberty to follow the culture. Divorce was virtually non-existent 40 or 50 years ago. Scripture was accepted by most, believer and unbeliever alike, as the authoritative word of God in the 1950s. Faith ruled, however imperfectly. But today, mainline churches bless sodomy, evangelical churches bless divorce, and feelings rule almost exclusively. So, since evangelicals, according to Christianity today, have been rethinking divorce, blessing what God says he hates, when will evangelicals rethink sodomy? Well, guess what? It's already happening. Apparently, God is so good that he has authorized his creatures, by grace, of course, to become God. So much for the emerging, or should we say, evolving church. Or is it God who's evolving? Just imagine. Is the eternal God who declared, I change not, changing his unchangeable word just for us who didn't much like what he originally said? Believe it or not, this new religiously correct viewpoint is being enforced upon the entire church by pastor and people alike, both mainline and evangelical, in precisely the same manner as sodomy has been enforced through political correctness upon the nation and the world. It's deadly, pernicious, insidious. It's a fatal virus for our souls, friends, and it produces spiritual blindness. And if it is allowed to proceed systemically, it corrupts the hard drive of your mind, preventing you from thinking biblically, and without repentance, you will progressively arrogate your will over God's will until you are of a reprobate mind. Though you claim to know God, you don't glorify or treat him as God. You will become progressively vain in your imaginations, in your reasonings and thoughts. Your foolish heart will become darkened. Professing yourself to be wise, you will become a spiritual fool. Finally changing the truth of God into a lie, others who are infected will follow the same pattern. And though they know the judgment of God, they find solace in majority rule, shifting trust from the dependable God to the deceit of the masses. And finally, those gripped by this deadly virus will not only rebel against God by personally disobeying his written will, but will take pleasure in and approve others also in the rebellion. That is what is described in the Bible as the delusion of our times. So what do we do? If you find that you have become, shall we say, caught up or complicit in this drift of the 
redefining of words and language in order to self-deceive and become liked and to become more received and inclusive in the culture. It's time that we repent, friends, and that we ask God to reveal very clearly the error of our ways because I will tell you now and we will talk about it again and again and again. If you don't get it now, it may well be too late when the Antichrist himself shows up on the scene. Because the pressures then will be a hundred times more than they are today. Please hear. The pressures then to conform, to become like the world, and to go along to get along, and to just rationalize and redefine the words so as to make yourself believe and think that somehow you're loving God while defying his word. It doesn't work that way. So God in his mercy and love and grace and long-suffering patience is extending a warning to his people. This is part of what it means to prepare the way of the Lord for history's final hour. I hope you will take it seriously. Go before the Lord and ask if there is anything in your own thinking, in your own ways, where you have succumbed to the seductive delusion of our time. Get a copy of the book, Seduction of the Saints, How to Stay Pure in a World of Deception. It's an $18 book, yours for $16, excuse me, $15 on our website, saveus.org. Also, if you do not have a copy of the book, Antichrist, How to Identify the Coming Imposter, you really need to get a copy of that. Read them both. They're complementary. They're not duplicative. They're complementary. That's a $22 book, both of them on the website, saveus.org. Thanks for joining us here on Viewpoint today. I know this might have been tough, but you know, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. That's what a coach once told me, and some have called me Coach Chris Meyer. So consider yourself coached today. For return, God bless and be a blessing. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.